Our next guest is a singer, songwriter, and award-winning actress. She won a Golden Globe for her performance in the United States versus Billie Holiday. And she's also my sorority sister. Shout out to Andrew Day. What's up, girl? <laughs> How are you? Welcome to the show. I'm great. How are y'all? We, we are. We want, I, I got to tell you, the first time I ever heard your voice, I was. it was Christmas time. And I think it was an Apple commercial. You yeah. remember that? So I was, yeah. I was, uh, you know, because usually when old white people are doing stuff, I'm like, all right, this, I don't care about this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I hear this song, and I actually thought it was Billie Holiday. I thought it was her. I, like I thought, and then I go, I go, who is the girl on the on the on the uh, on the show uh, on the, uh, on, the on, on the Apple commercial? I remember talking about it to everybody. Matter of fact, I downloaded the the thing so I could hear the song over and over again. And then years later, I mean, then I went out and bought your first album. Then I then I saw, heard the Stevie Wonder thing, and then I saw you um, on um, the movie, uh, uh, the Billie Holiday movie, and it made perfect sense. It made perfect oh, wow. sense. Do, do you think you were born to play that role? I mean, now now when people reflect and we talk about all these different pieces, and I and I've loved her since I was eleven years old. You know, it seems a little ordained, you know, but I, it, it's funny listening to that now because when we first were embarking on this journey I was like hell no I'm not interested <laughs> right but I'm grateful I'm really grateful that I didn't self-sabotage my way out of it because I think and I, I saw it right after I taken I taken the vaccine I took the vaccine and then uh, she had seen it and I had seen clips I watched the whole movie and mm -hmm. I, the two things I thought immediately was you literally embodied her literally and the other thing is like, what a hard life! Like, like that was a, that was a, like like a terrible, such a such a multi talented, empathic human being that had this terrible role to to hold. Did yeah. you did you were, were you connected to it? Like, did you feel a lot of pain going through that uh, playing oh, that role? I mean, you know, and and just like in my in the spiritual sense, in the emotional sense, psychologically, uh, you know, and and physically even, you know. Um, I, I feel like there was just, and fortunately, Lee he was just an incredible director, and he connected me to Tasha Smith, who was my acting coach. They yeah, really helped yeah. pull up personal pain and to really hold on and live in it. But I also, in order to just touch, you know, what Billie Holiday would have experienced at the time, I had to put my body through it as well, too. I had to really damage my vocal cords with, you know, doing things I don't typically do. I don't drink, I don't smoke, you know, I don't. Me neither. Drink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't do that at all. <laughs> who, would, who would do something as dumb as that? That's just some smooth Coca-Cola, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, me too. It just has something in it. Um, when, I, when I was watching you, because I, I, to me, the hardest thing to do in acting is to cry and to make love. Like those, those things are very hard. And you were convincing in each, like all those things, I thought, wow, she's really connected to an emotional place and to be in a lot of love scenes. Um, right. Because usually it takes a while to be that comfortable. It takes a while to, to emote that much. What was the more difficult? Was it more difficult to, to, for the, for the uh, emotional roles or just kind of being um, naked and open and having everybody around? That had to be difficult too. Yeah. Not for me um, to see, but it was for you to do. I'm sure if I watched. But. Then, I, then, the, then the job was done. <laughs> right, right, right. I had to stop several times, but let's not go on about that. That's not what we're talking about. Um, no. What was tougher for you to do artistically? Um, I think artistically, uh, I think 
You know, it's interesting. I think it was, um, I, I want to say both, but but they, they were so different. You know, the emotional thing for me, I'm I'm very much like we are as most humans. It's You compartmentalize or, as I say, lay things down so that I, I you're not so, um, so sort of inhibited by your emotions and by these traumas and these experiences. So, you know, having to pull that up was difficult. Having to sit in it and live in it and stew in it um, was, was extremely painful, you know, and facing certain family realities that was painful and then yeah it was it was uncomfortable for me doing these love scenes doing but I think the thing that landed especially the main love scene that we had with um with uh Trevante I think the thing my discomfort in doing the scene actually lended itself to Billy's discomfort being loved by a person I think it's extremely difficult to be vulnerable and to be loved by a man and it was confused, I think, by the gesture because she was so used to men abusing her and taking advantage of her. And so, you know, and in, in the scenes where they wasn't loving like that, it's, as I'm a woman, you know what I mean? So we've experienced certain things from men. I know what it's like to sort of turn your brain and your emotions off and just say, all right, I'm here and I'm just going to get this done. You know what I mean? So um, I, they were just different. It was all different. You know what I mean? And all very trying. It's, it's interesting because everybody who embodies a role like that, some part of them, is that person some yeah. small part of them that person lives in a small part like when i watched um jamie become ray which is like because those are people that i like knew and 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 those are people like he was a guy that really became ray um and mm-hmm. i think much like you became you became billy what part of you is is her which 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 part was it the artistic part was it the uh pain part was it the kind of uh uh you know uh empathic part what part was it uh, I, well, first of all, I think the empathic part, definitely, um, which I will say, uh, you know, and, and the loving music, you know what I mean? Just really, um, you know, just sort of being kind of becoming a part of the music as you're performing. Uh, I, but I think the empathic part too, I do love people. And I think Billie Holiday's magnetism is due to the fact that she didn't judge people. She just loved people. She received them. She accepted them. She celebrated them for who they were, all of their facets, all of their layers. They were able to just be there and to be who they were and to be present with her. Um, But I think all of that really falls under a greater blanket of I am a black woman living in America. You know what I mean? And that comes with its own inherent set of traumas, oftentimes this sense of invisibility, which is why we fight and why we push so hard to to um, not just to be seen and to 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 be validated and to feel valuable, but also for other people's causes. You know, we shoulder a lot of people's burdens and that's because comes from the empathy side of things and that's that's how so you know I don't know what it's like to be a black woman in the 30s 40s and 50s to be a black queer woman singing about lynching in America um, but I know what it's like to be a black woman I know certain expectations that are placed on you um, and people sort of unfair judgments of every single thing that you do you're too hot you're too cold you're too loud you're too quiet you're you know too brazen you're too prudish you know it's this that sort of uncomfortable batting back and forth I'm familiar with that you know I don't know that there's a distinguishable. Uh, it's a the difference is distinguishable. I think that you know the apparatuses change, the technology change, but I think the sentiment toward black women has always been the same. Yeah, I absolutely. think that no matter uh, you could look at what happened to Sister Soldier and and, and trying to use, so it doesn't matter. What does it say about us as a as a country, and and our uh, uh, this this country's perspective of black women that so little has changed, so yeah. little has changed between. Uh, you know, there are things that they might not do as overtly, 
Um, right. But but I still think the the character assassination, the the assault of your yeah. personhood, all of that still is the same, right? Yeah. As a matter of fact, you know, I, first of all, I'd agree with that. And I think what it says is that systems that were put in place when Billie Holiday was alive singing about Strange Fruit, systems that were put in place post, you know, the, uh, the abolition of slavery, right, during Reconstruction, Jim Crow, segregation, just racial terror, you know, um, systems that were put in place to continue monetizing and criminalizing black bodies. Uh, it, it, you know, I think there's some things Billie Holiday might if she were here today, would say, wow, that's definitely a lot different. And there's some things that she would look at and say, wow, what they did back then is working now. What, was, what, I mean? what would she say? Because yeah. there is a certain amount of activism that people just inherently, I think in order for people to gravitate you as, as, an, as an artist, you have to be quintessentially human. And I think nothing's humor, more human uh, than, than seeing somebody else's plight and trying to illustrate it. That's uh, in, in my estimation. And yeah. even your voice, when I first heard it, I I was I was asleep. I was I was kind of going to sleep, and it was that kind of thing. And I think those are the only thing. The only way people learn from us is if we're singing, dancing, running, or jumping. That's the only way. And and they get it accidentally. Like, hey, nigga, why you ran that touchdown? You did say something about people. Like they can't. Like it, it can't be on the nose. It really can't be. We're never gonna. They're never gonna listen to our, us. We have to be singing, dancing, running, or jumping. We have to. In other words, it, it can't be on the nose. And I think that you ever think that your talent was your way to 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 be a lens for people to see uh, humanity or to see some something they, they, they did not have such a jaundiced view of people of us. Uh, you know, well, first of all, yes, I do believe that because I look at these things as gifts. You know what I mean? You have yours, obviously, that have blessed us, and I have mine, and. And everyone has their different gifts, which don't don't always manifest themselves, you know, sort of like in the arts. But but I, so I absolutely think that it is a tool. But I also do think, you know, I, I I am of the ilk that you know, yes, you can receive it through singing. Yes, you can receive it through dancing. Yes, you can receive it through the arts. But we're getting to a point now, and we've been there. But I think we're, you know, especially with the advent of the internet and social media, now everything is the globe is much smaller, and people have access to so much information and to other people around the world's struggles. And so we saw this global effort of um, supporting Black Lives Matter, um, in support of Black Lives Matter. But I, I think that we're getting to a point now when, you know, you just need to receive it. You know what I mean? It's no, as, you know, as James Baldwin always put, how much time do you need for your progress? You know, dance for me, sing for me, make me comfortable, because that's where I'm comfortable seeing you. Well, you have to be uncomfortable then. You know what I mean? You need to get comfortable being uncomfortable and seeing us in places and in positions and represented in areas that we have not been traditionally or that we've been kept out of. And so, yeah, I think they need to receive it through the arts, but also sometimes it's just a direct message to just, you know, <laughs> if, if you're not with it, you know what I'm saying, then you got to go. No, you, know? you better not be direct. <laughs> you better, yeah. No. What makes you laugh? What makes you laugh? What makes When's me the last laugh? time you really like just cracked the fuck up? When's the, what, what makes you laugh? I laugh all the time. <laughs> but when was the last time? Oh, you know what? Actually, the last time I laughed was just the other day because I played a prank on my day-to-day -day manager. Because my day-to-day -day manager is like the oldest young nigga I've ever met in my life. <laughs> <laughs> He's like a 30-year-old pop-pop. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, so I played a joke on him. We were at a hotel and I slipped a note under his door because I know my fans and like their voices and how, you know, and they, and they because of Rise Up, they, you know, they share a lot right, with me. Right. Which is, so 
So I had slipped a note under the door. What did I name this? What did I name this dude? What was his name? Lindell. I came up with me, me and my cousins. We were just bored, and so we wanted to play a joke on him. This was just, what, last night or two nights? So we, we wrote a note, and we came up with the name Lindell Robertson, and he was from Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> and he just moved to L.A. from Jersey, and he was struggling to get work because of COVID, you know, but he finally got a job at this hotel, you know, and he's been a big fan of mine for a long time, and and uh, and he found out that I'm staying at this hotel, and here he is now, and he slipped a note under Josh's door and is asking for access to my room. <laughs> so funny. My day to day sitting there trying to figure out. He's like, shit. If I give this, <laughs> she's gonna probably want to meet him and probably want to pray with him and probably stress me out. So, but then when we finally um, let him in on the joke, his reaction was amazing. So we laughed pretty hard about that. You know what's funny? That was a real note that I sent in because your joke got fucked up. So thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, that's all hilarious. everything's funny except me not getting to meet you in the lobby of your hotel oh my ha, God. Ha, ha. so what are you going to do next I know you were probably apprehensive you talked about that about playing Billy which was amazing so many surprising things that I learned right but what do you want to do next what do you want to act in next uh, you know so <laughs> it's funny I, I, I'm, I'm really just starting to rev sort of get back into the idea of wanting to do this I like auditioned for like some things here and there, but I, I didn't feel fully kind of like ready in my spirit. But but now I'm on the other side. I thought I was going to retire, but now on the other side, I'm like, okay, you know, there's so many stories of ours that need to be told. So I want to be a part of, you know, of, of if this if it's another name or another hat in the ring that can help push these narratives forward and tell the truth about them. And I want to do that. So, but what I, I'm really excited about. Uh, possibly something else with um, with Lee Daniels again because I just love. Well, we know it won't be a comedy. That's for goddamn sure. <laughs> <laughs> it won't be. It won't be. A, it won't be a, <laughs> Maybe I need to do a comedy so I can get my head. Yeah, wait, man. It won't be Precious on Ice. We know oh, that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is that is one of the things about when, when Lee Daniels was here. Automatically, I went. This is gonna be award worthy because I, I don't think he knows how to make just a fan. Uh, like he just all his film have a certain been to them where they're very melancholy they're beautiful and they feature somebody you never saw coming all of that like i like uh but i always am i'm always amazed that he seems to have a talent for making a a, a film that no one could ever imagine and talent that nobody could have imagined embodying yeah. that film so you did you, you did are you going to go back on the road as soon as this thing clears up yeah, so we do. We have an album that's um, releasing June 4th, I'm excited about. So the new singles are, well, Tigress and Tweed was the first single off the album, and the new singles are coming in April. But I'm, I'm writing, too. I started, I, I, there are so many stories, I think, of ours that have not been told intentionally so. So I, I, there's, a, um, there's a project that I'm developing right now. It'll be like, a, I believe, like a limited series. Um, so I just started, you know, researching and, and writing and just want to co-write and co-direct and co-produce and just work with just great people that I've met, you know. In, in the story in you're people. writing now isn't about you uh, writing a note and scaring the shit out of your romance. It's not that, is it? It's, it's not that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, wasn't it funny how she... <laughs> I think that's good, though, because I think there are a lot of, a lot like you said, a lot of people that we don't know their stories. Like, I really thought the story of Billie Holiday was she was an amazing vocalist and it was Lady Sings the Blues. And so seeing this, it was not that. And learning about, you know, her... Um, passion about this particular song and her refusal to not actually say I'm I'm, I'm going to sing this song. You know, I think yeah. that's important, and I can just imagine how many other stories we're we're not we're not getting. 
Yeah, she she really was the godmother of the civil rights movement sure. as we know it today. Right. She was. It was her singing strange fruit in defiance of the government and the death of Emmett Till, but her side was scrubbed clean. That reinvigorated Thurgood Marshall in the movement. And so she really put the battery in the back of a lot of great civil rights leaders um, uh, that we know of today. And we were never supposed to know that about her. There's, you know, even the, the Internet went crazy when they discovered Beethoven was African. Right. Yeah. You know. Or I always bring up hidden figures and how it changed me to know that three black women were responsible for getting us to space and programming the first computer. Or that the brave act of a slave infiltrating the enemy camp really netted America its 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 independence, you know. And so these are stories we're never supposed to know the full scope of our struggle, of our contribution, of our triumph. And I think if we're going to dismantle a system that has been built on lies and deception, then we have to inject it with a lot of truth, you know. And so... That's I, that's why I want to continue in films, maybe on the other side of the camera, but um, because because there's just so much. We have so many stories that need to be told, you know. You know, it's so funny. Your voice, your speaking voice, sounds like uh, that same timbre as your singing voice. You ever notice that? Okay. You ever think that? <laughs> annoying. No, it's not annoying. <laughs> it's not annoying. It is now that you uh, fucked up my letter to you. That that's annoying. But this part is. When <laughs> you have been, girl, you, just you, ignore him. You grew up in you grew up in Seattle, right? You grew up in Seattle, or was it was no, it close no, to? I, I, I was I was born in Seattle, but I actually grew up in Southeast San Diego because my father was Good. in the military. Okay, so it was like right after I was born, we traveled down the coast, and then he was stationed in San Diego. When people heard you, because well, it's not uh, San Diego is not an urban town. Well, but, well, I guess it is a lot of niggas in San Diego. I I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a ton of niggas in San. I shouldn't say that. It is actually a lot. Um, it is. Where I grew up, it is, but it's not. We do get hella overshadowed by the city, and that's like a big part of yeah. what I shed light on too. So I'm glad. Because when that. I came from LA to San Diego, they're like, oh niggas is everywhere. <laughs> this <They're scared. laughs> <laughs> everywhere. Uh, but southeast <laughs> then. <laughs> when uh, when you when you first start singing. That is a very unusual voice, right? Like it's it's very unusual. What what is the worst thing anybody ever said about you, you, your voice and and the things that they thought you were capable of or not capable of? Um, that's what was the worst thing? Oh my God! I mean, what was the worst thing somebody said about my voice? <laughs> <laughs> Are you high? What the hell is going on? <laughs> <laughs> You know, or it's just, it's screechy, or it's not, you know, it's not a real singer, or, you know, all these things. To be honest, the first insult I ever saw, and it was the moment I decided I'm never going to look at the comments again, but it was somebody wrote, I had just uploaded something on YouTube, and I went to the comments to see, I wonder if people are responding well, and the first comment, and I probably shouldn't say this on the show, but bleep me, the first comment, because you know they love to call us this, was nigga bitch, and yeah. I was like, yeah. literally, my response was, but did you? <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, don't worry. They they call us that too, so it's the same Absolutely. thing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, people will say things, you know, and all that stuff. But fortunately, I got to tell you, and it's another full circle moment. It was Billie Holiday. It was discovering her at 11 years old that eventually helped me to own my own voice because I just remember hearing her for the first time, being like, I was like 11. And I was just confused. I was like, this don't sound nothing like Whitney. And I'm thinking, I, I have to sound like Whitney, and I got to sound like the pop singers of my time. And, and um, you know, it doesn't sound like Aretha. It doesn't sound like Patty. It doesn't sound, but this is one of the greatest vocalists of all time. Okay, so how, you know, so she changed my idea of what a great vocalist was and my own personal contribution. Ultimately, it was her ownership of her own voice that helped me to accept my own. Like, you know, it is what it is. I'm, it's just going to be what it's going to be, and I, and I either got to love it or move on and, and not use it but 
So it, it was her who really helped me to say, okay, it, it's different. My tone sometimes, I like it sometimes, most of the time I hate it, but, <laughs> but <laughs> it really actually helped me to accept my voice and say, this is my contribution. And so, Are you excited was, to get back on stage again? Because now it, it looks like uh, there's light at the yeah, end of the tunnel. And, same, and, and you come from... Now people are used to, you've had a lot of exposure with this. Uh, war seasons come up and there'll be a little more. I'm sure that you're going to do very well there. And Thank and you. people will have, there are going to be people who only have seen you uh, in this light. They're, they're going to be, and they're right. going to come with a certain expectation that has its own trials and travails. Are you excited right. about disconnecting from all of that and being what you, what you are, which is ultimately an entertainer? You know what I'm most excited about? I'm excited about not disconnecting, but allowing it to mold me and be a part of my story and who I'm supposed to be in this new season of my life. You know what I mean? Because it's, you know, I, I, I've i been her for three years now. Three right. years of my life has just been Billie Holiday. So I, I really, to be honest with you, I I didn't know who I was when I left set. You know, I, 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 it's, I hadn't been her for so long and it was so deep in our headspace and I don't think I even realized how deep it was. So, you know, this idea of going back to Andrew was so foreign to me. And and I realized, you know, I wouldn't be the same three years from now as I as I was three years ago anyway. None of right, us are Wakanda. Right, right, right. She pushed me faster and further, you know, or or I say God used her to push me faster and further. But um uh, and so I'm excited to just take it all into this new season and into this new space and just to to appreciate who it is I am in, in this season and to explore that and to explore that with my audience and with, you know, the, these people that support me and who I love. So, you well, know, I, they I, have, love, I love your voice from the first time. And you, 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 you I'm scared to meet people because I'm going, oh, I can't stand this motherfucker. I can't, I don't know how this happened. <laughs> oh my give, God. give me my goddamn note back. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that I wrote it. <laughs> I hate that I wrote it. Bob, you, you, you're, you're, I'm, I'm glad you were what I thought you were. I, I, I'm excited to see what you do. Uh, I, I, I'll say this: If there's there's a there's a kind of thing in you that shines through, whether you're this or whether you're, no matter however in any incarnation I've ever kind of experienced you, there's always been a thing you have, and I hope you always keep it. I, I really do. I think it's dope. I'm looking forward to your next project. And when is that out? Uh, that's um, June fourth. And what's it called? Uh, I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> Such a beautiful slow woman. Jesus ah, don't Christ. do that. She's don't so do that. Beautiful. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm t I love when women laugh like that. You know, like 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 they the only ones in the room. Often either they're having a nervous breakdown or they're really they really having a good time. <laughs> Hey, I, 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 I'm, I'm, thank you for joining us on the program, and uh, you keep doing what you do. Thanks, Andrew. Me and you going to always be enough. Thank you, oh, Andrew. Oh, for Day. sure. Thank you. Welcome back to DL Uncut. Our first guest is the manager and founding partner of Backstage Capital. Her book, It's About Damn Time, is available wherever books are sold. Please welcome Arlen Hamilton. I like your sweatshirt. <laughs> right. Thank you. Super dope. It's from, it's from the Versus. Yeah. Yes. Ah, ooh. <laughs> what a Versus it you, was. You look like you come to get some money. You better give me some goddamn money and, <laughs> and shut right up with that now. bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you are, it's a venture capitalist, right? That's right. 
So you basically get funds from rich people. That's essentially yes. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it took a while, but yes. That's but you started out homeless. I did. I, I had a lot of housing insecurity and food right. insecurity for most of my adult life. Yes. Why do they call it insecurity? You ain't got a house and that's you're just hungry. That's a nice that, way to know, say that, it. That, 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 that's I think a better way to say it. Yeah, there's different versions of it. I mean, um, you know, some people think homeless. They think, okay, you got to be out in the street. Right. You got to be laying on concrete. And I just had different versions of it. I didn't right. have an address for a long time. Right. You know, and, right. and it's so just challenged. Yeah, my 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 brother-in-law has that, but he ran it from the police. So I don't know <laughs> if yeah. it's just regular insecurity. <laughs> You don't have to excuse me, DL, because you're a legend, and I'm just I'm tripping out right now. <laughs> <laughs> tripping out right now. Thank you. It's interesting yeah. that you would start off homeless, and then mm-hmm. because it uh, venture capitalism is is uh, is this is mysterious to a lot of people. Like like nobody yeah. knows. All I know is whenever you want something, they they talk to a bunch of dudes who decide whether you're worth it or not, and okay. you get money for poor black gay people right yes they're all not poor but yes black people latinx women lgbtq everybody uh 90 percent of venture funding goes to white men right. in the united right. states right. they make up a third of the country right. so we all know that that's not right so but, uh yeah so how did you because no, no one that's got to be like no one like in order like yeah, but how do you even get into like, that? Like, hey, like, look, just I want to get money for black people. Yeah. I just looked at it as if I, did, if I didn't have money on the table, I would not be allowed in the room. I could scream about it. I could write about it. I could yell about it. But I had to be about it in order to be in the room to make change. And so I said, yes, I am poor. I'm broke. For 35 of my 40 years, I was under the poverty line. Didn't make $20,000 in income until I was 36 years old. And now that's, you know, that's different. Uh, But I said, those are my personal circumstances. That doesn't change the fact that this is ridiculous, that there's no money flowing uh, or not enough money flowing to people I know should be should have that capital. What is the impediment? Because people have to believe one that you're worthy that they can. Because it's, it's, to them, it's about being able to generate income, right? For the investment yeah. to be worth it. So that you, we'd have to see them. If, if we can't get people to build supermarkets in our in our neighborhoods or viable businesses in our neighborhood, then then you you went to the people that that those people that those investment come from. How were you able to convince them? That's right. So some of it is racism. Some of it is bigotry. Some of it is just inherent laziness from people who are very wealthy uh, and have a very kind of specific way of life. And they don't want that to be disturbed or, or, you know, messed with. And I just said, you know, instead of I'm going to do the bang head bounce on the boat and forget rocking. (laughs) (laughs) Like I I just came in all like loud and, and saying what nobody else was really saying out loud. We were saying it kind of whispering it. Hey, there's no, there are no women in this room. There are no black people in this room. Why are they not on boards? Why are, here and there, and venture it was whispered about. Right. And I said, look, you know, if if you went to a, one of the three schools that most venture capitalists went to, MIT, Stanford, et cetera, and those are the only people you've ever met. And of course, you know, there are black people and women at those colleges, but you spent your time with certain people. That's how you're going to continue to invest in venture capitalists. Have said out loud with microphones in front of them. I look for someone who looks like Mark Zuckerberg. Who? who because hmm. that's pattern matching for me. It, you know what's funny? Hmm. Who was it? The uh, he was a, he was the chairman of a bank. Uh, was it? I think it was Wells Fargo. Uh, and he said, "I don't see any. Um, I just don't see any black talent. I, I just look around. What was his name? Hmm. 
Oh, uh, I don't know, but I, it's, he said I've he heard said that. he black talent. And rather than to me, the mistake was rather than take him at his word and say, well, what can we do so that you do? Do they do come to your perspective? We got mad and made him apologize when he was only telling you the truth. I think that the problem is that that we are not in the places that they need. Uh, to That's see right. us, that we're, we're visible. We are not right. uh, in their perspective. And and the way to get that is not to make them apologize, but to make us, uh, to put us in a position where we can be viable products for them or, or, or applicants for them. That's right. And I think, I think the more they see uh, people making money and exits happening, the more they get it. Uh, it's just like movies and everything else, you know. Everybody's so surprised that Black Panther did well. Of course, <laughs> right, 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 right. But it's like that's what you're starting to see in venture now. You're starting to see these tech companies blow up. Uh, uh, these these companies led by Black people and women. Bumble just had their IPO, so now everybody in Silicon Valley is like, find me the next Bumble, find right. me the next Whitney, right? At, who who runs it? And what I'm saying is, what I was saying five years ago and ten years ago to people was, that's going to happen. We're going to have our heyday. Let's get into it early, and we will work with the companies very early so they can become that. Right. Yeah. And so, how did you get them to listen to you, though? Because I know the one uh, big obstacle that black women have specifically is, you know, if you are opinionated, if you are progressive in the way that you think and aggressive and loud, you're labeled as the angry black woman or no one yeah. wants to listen to you and work with you. How do you flip that? It's true. I And I have been. I'm very outspoken. My ish, my thing was I did not care if the titans of industry did not like me. That didn't matter to me. And I also feel like I have a privilege in knowing that I can go and blow stuff up, knowing I don't have children and knowing that I, I can mm. kind of step right. into right, it. Like right, that. Right, right. And I took on a lot of that, the brunt of it, because I said it needs to be said. I don't care if the person sitting across from me is a billionaire. That it means nothing to me. It, it, it really d- doesn't. And so once you start fighting back and saying what's really out there, then more and more people come out and say, yeah, that, I feel that way too. And it becomes too loud for somebody to ignore. Right. Mm. And then also on top of that, we were executing. So we were, we were raising capital. We were making investments in companies by underrepresented, underestimated founders. We're at 175 companies when people were laughing at me in 2014 when I said, I'm going to invest in 100 companies by underrepresented founders by 2020. They laughed me out of rooms and told me to come back when I was, uh, when I, when I was saying something that was logical. We reached that May 2018 because there's so much talent out there. I, I say mm-hmm. all the time that the, we, we miss the industrial age. We missed uh, mm-hmm. uh, the manufacturing age. If we miss the t- technology age, we're going to be having this welcome in, this in- income in, in disparity, disparity conversation all the time. And I think um, I've always wondered the, the government and tech, like I always see tech companies being fined by the government or, you know, having, uh, you know, these stipulations put on by the government. And it would be more advantageous for tech companies to work with black colleges, historically black colleges mm-hmm. or black state schools to kind of spread the wealth. And they can be, in essence, become the farm teams for those kinds of tech. Because the only way you make money is the NASDAQ. Like large amounts of money really fast now mm-hmm. is the NASDAQ. And we're just shut out of that. Like for tech, we sell, if they want to sell a, a, a fancy gadget, they use us. And the best we mm-hmm. get out of that is working at the Apple store. Mm-hmm. So I think it's true, and you you can see it now. Twitter, there's a reason we talk about Black Twitter. Same thing is happening with Clubhouse. With Clubhouse. Right. We 
we build these companies right. either by being consumers of it or building it behind the scenes. It is definitely like life without, you know, a day without a black person, right. a day without a Latinx person. Right. It's definitely that in tech. And what it really comes down to, I can make investments and I can scream about it. And I think that's moving the needle and it's having the conversation. What it's going to come down to are these founders who are not sitting around waiting for the, the hundred or so uh, mostly white men get to get to tell them yes or no they're building on their own how, how is that possible though because i think that it's like uh you, you you don't even know um how do you even know to approach them how do you get into the room because you you went in selling a product that no one had ever thought it certainly didn't have yeah. much vibe but listen I'm, i want to I'm a, i want you to work with these black people these gay people these latin yeah. people who ain't got a goddamn thing except a great idea <laughs> and on top of that I'm I'm broke and I'm trying <laughs> right. to put that money in my bank. But I'll tell you what, here, that that's almost accurate. But there's part to it that I did have. Those people had more than an idea. They were building companies already. They ah. didn't sit around and wait. And so the proof became in the you know was in the pudding because I'm like they're not just this is not just an idea make a wish foundation and everybody's happy. This is viable companies that are making money and you're missing out because you have a blind spot and you can choose to be willfully ignorant or not. You, and I think you're literally yeah. the new Booker T. You literally the new, you <laughs> literally like, cause that, that kind of thinking, um, I, I would, I would imagine, I, I don't want to speak for you believe that the economic freedom, educational freedom affords you certain, uh, amounts of protections in, in a society. Right. Protections so, and success. Right. You know, I say that my success, my unbridled success, is my activism. At right. So uh, you you could tell that that's your that's your perspective. What do you think is the biggest impediment? Because it isn't just uh, the business. It's also people that aren't aware of it, and people that think that these these things are impossibilities. I think that mm-hmm. one thing about about black, which we tend to be uh, the audio didactic, we learn by hearing and seeing, mm. and so. No one would ever have known that unless they see you. They, 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 we, we, we play basketball because you can learn it free and you see people. We, we, we learn that we, we can get gold medals and start shit you learn how to do free at the park. And, and <laughs> yeah. this isn't that. This isn't that. It's, it's, yes. it, but, but this is really the big chip, chip in the game. This is how fortunes change. This is how uh, communities move forward. And we, we don't yeah. seem to understand its nuances and mechanisms. It's another reason why I'm, I'm investing the way I am. It's not just for the returns to come back to me, but for the narrative to change. Because through these companies going on to do well, it's not going to happen overnight, but they are. It's happening. That there will be new tech titans. The the visual of a of a tech titan will be different. So they'll s- start to see the di- different generations will start to see different people. On top of that, art is going to imitate life. And so you're going to have more television shows, more movies, and more scripted podcasts that are going to have as a protagonist the tech, uh, the black tech woman CEO, right? Because yeah. it's happening in real life, and all of that. And somebody asked me, you know, when, what's it going to take? I said it's going to take Beyonce going on TV and saying that she's invested in these ten companies led by underrepresented founders, and she's already started to do that. And I was using her as an example, but it 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 goes across the board when it comes to uh, media. 
Yeah, I think that's important. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times, especially the younger generation coming up, they don't see that. No. Nope. It's not in their no. area. Even we saw it specifically during the quarantine when you had a lot of urban families who didn't even have computers. They didn't have yep. access to any you know type of the, thing. Enough that they devices. For, uh, absolutely. Yeah. So I think it's important yes. that we see that kind of thing not only on TV, but also in our communities. That's right. And so many of the founders that we invest in, on top of just making great companies, they also want that impact. So we have an invest uh, an investment where they're trying to have broadband available in all in every Wi-Fi in every neighborhood in the United States. But why wouldn't why wouldn't that? Okay, the interesting thing about that, that should be a part of a new ed- educational apparatus, right? That should be mm-hmm. how we like like instead of building new schools, we need to build new avenues to education. Yes. And, there, and there are people, when we talk about an infrastructure, that's just not bridges and, 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 and airports and, and, and railroads. That is, uh, you mm-hmm. know, a technical uh, uh, infrastructure, right. too. And I think that there are ways that we could just be enriched being a part of that. Like if, if we yes. if we've got to bring broadband to all these communities, it should be communities of color that have a hand in being involved in that, right? And that's what's hap- that's what's starting to happen, and that's what's what the future looks like. There's another company that we've invested in. They're, they're putting down new sidewalks that are smart sidewalks, so they're going to have a tap into everything in the city to help with the infrastructure. Uh, you know, every piece of it you can think of, because you're going to be able to dial into a dashboard uh, with smart cities. And wow. it's the it's the perspective, the black perspective, the female perspective, et cetera that is missing has been missing but it's now being is showing up and represented and that is what is is like this wave that is you you won't be able to stop it you know what interesting i often have conversations with people but most most of those conversations center on the past uh mm. they're reparative they're they're you know restorative kind of ideas this is for, like I haven't seen a black woman talking with the fugitives much as Miss Miss Cleo. Goddamn, <laughs> <laughs> you really shit. <laughs> and I and I and, and, and it's, it's for it's the first time I've ever realized. Uh, and I always say this, but our best uh, pathway forward is is uh, best pathway uh, out of this thing is forward, and that has to be with technology and all the other things we can avail ourselves to. That's amazing. That's it. I mean, you basically just helped me with my shareholder meeting because that's all i have to do to explain it just explain everything that's going on in here <laughs> it's about the future okay, all right all right uh what number should i place this you all <laughs> <laughs> help me with the goddamn lotto numbers <laughs> it has been a pleasure a pleasure uh, so uh look, keep up the good work really really i appreciate it this smart sidewalk, can it take me anywhere I want to go without nobody mm-hmm. knowing? It nope. will eventually. Okay. Will. <laughs> I'm going to hold out for it. Erase your history on it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. What a pleasure. Take care. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye.